Hey there, Vernacular Faithful. Redcoat here. And Sienter joins him. And we've got another podcast for you. Today, we're continuing our examination of the concept of complexity in games. Specifically, we'll be investigating each of the four types of complexity manifestations that we noted in the last cast, and how they can both harm and enhance the composite experience of any given video game. As a quick recap of the previous podcast, the manifestations of complexity are comprehension complexity, what is it? Making sense of it. Situational complexity. What's going on? Strategic complexity. What am I going to do? And execution complexity. Actually doing it. It should be noted that generally speaking, game objects will exhibit more than one form of complexity. And due to the nature of said complexities, the source of their effects can often be difficult to separate from each other, as almost all of the forms of complexity are interconnected. Shifts in one complexity manifestation will cause others to shift as well. For instance, decreasing the overall comprehension complexity of a game or game object may also decrease its situational complexity and strategic complexity. For the sake of our examination, we will be looking at each of these complexities in isolation to better understand their individual effects on the game as a whole. So we're going to look at how to effectively handle the various types of complexity. To do this, we're going to look at how they can positively and negatively impact the players of your game. In general, you as a developer can identify positive and negative experiences from your players based on their reactions. This can manifest as elation or frustration with respect to particular aspects or scenarios in your game. This can also register as a hyperfocus or apathy towards various aspects of your game, as the player finds the engagement derived from said aspect to be either exciting or boring. The point of defining a game in terms of its complexities is to help hone in on what exactly is causing your players to have these elated or frustrated responses, and then take the actions to make your game have a more positive form of engagement in those areas for those players. To this end, we'll be talking about each form of complexity in terms of how they produce positive and negative engagement experiences for the players, and various ways to approach producing positive engagement while avoiding negative experiences. Learning and mastering things can be a powerful form of engagement, and we want to help developers out there understand how their game mechanics might be creating positive engagement through these complexities so they can have a fuller, more complete understanding of why players like the parts of a game that they do. We also want to highlight ways in which complexity can produce frustration, so that developers have an additional tool for weeding out negative play experiences. So, as stated in the recap, Comprehension complexity is a measure of how difficult it is for the player to understand what a game object is in the greater scheme of your game. With this in mind, what are the positive and negative manifestations of comprehension complexity? Let's start with the positives, since that's the first thing you asked about in your two-part question. Comprehension complexity can lead to positive engagement when figuring out what something does, how it works, or how it fits into your game is enjoyable. This can have moments of understanding, the classic Eureka! or it can stretch out over something like solving a mystery. The important thing to understand when working with comprehension complexity is to make sure that it doesn't prevent the player from playing the game, or at least it doesn't prevent the player from playing around with the game to try and figure out how it works. In other words, if the player doesn't have a way to begin their investigation, then they can't begin solving the mystery. Exactly. Without breadcrumbs, the player's engagement with the object from a standpoint of comprehension is much harder to facilitate. This leads us to the negative manifestations of comprehension complexity. As you may have surmised, negative comprehension complexity happens when there is little to no way for the player to begin to understand what a game object is and what it does. An example of this would be a strategy game that doesn't tell you what any of the units in it can do 
providing no logical progression of player actions or thought that would lead them to discover this information. It is easy to make a mistake here and think that comprehension is easier than it is, especially if you have been playing games your entire life. Why would you think touching a picture of your character's decapitated head is a good thing, unless you have experience with games where they use such an image for an extra life? There are a lot of shortcuts, an iconography, or a set of conventions that game developers use to try to communicate what things are to their players. But if someone has no experience with games, such shortcuts can easily fail. You have to be careful with your assumptions about how much game knowledge your players will have, and it is important to consider your target audience when constructing your tutorials and your game as a whole. Knowing that comprehension complexity is a point of engagement in almost every game, it should be noted that there are games that focus on comprehension complexity as their primary point of positive engagement. Games that focus on this derive much of their engagement from the processing of breadcrumbs to understand or discover an idea or concept. For instance, the Phoenix Wright series focuses on positive engagement with comprehension complexity in the Narvazod element of the game, where winning court encounters through the acquisition and investigation of evidence is the bulk of the game. The Professor Layton series focuses on mechanical comprehension complexity, as each new puzzle it rolls out has its own set of rules of interaction that the player must discover through intuition and logic. Ghost Trick is a combination of these concepts. In all of these cases, the engagement comes from the discovery of what something is or how it works within the confines of the game. Now the next type of complexity, situational complexity, has to do with figuring out what is going on. It is impacted by three aspects. Density, which is how many objects there are, intricacy, which is how many possible interactions there are, and time pressure, which is how much time the game gives you to figure things out. The combination of these leads to stress, which is modified by the importance of understanding the situation. The game state in Magic the Gathering can indeed become very complicated, with high density and intricacy. Time pressure can mount as you're aware of making the other players wait for you as you figure out what is going on. And figuring out what is going on often feels very important. This can make for a very stressful situation, which can lead to a negative experience and decision paralysis. But you can also have a very complicated situation, say, in an action game, where things are constantly changing, enemies are everywhere, and the amount of time you have to figure all of that out feels non-existent. However, the importance of figuring out the full situation may be very low, which dramatically lowers the stress. Personality can also factor into this, as some people are more comfortable with not knowing everything that's going on than others. With this in mind, while it is important to avoid overwhelming the player with complex situations, one can also underwhelm a player with situations that are not complex enough. When a situation lacks enough time pressure, density, or intricacy to actually be engaging when the player attempts to understand it, this can also produce a negative experience. To approach the concept of achieving a situational complexity that a player positively engages with, one must first identify what it actually is. Situational complexity specifically deals with the arrangement and juxtaposition of already known concepts, ideas, or objects. From this standpoint, we can find a suitable example game that focuses on situational complexity, the good old-fashioned word search. In this game, comprehension of the rules is simple. Find the words in the giant mess of letters. Additionally, the strategy is also simple, coming down to finding associated letters to the words you are looking for. The engagement largely derives from discerning the letters that make up the words you're looking for from the letters that are simply there to confuse. This brings us to one point about engagement with situational complexity. For it to be engaging, there has to be some aspect of it that makes assessing the information non-trivial. This is where the situation assessment triangle, density, time pressure, and intricacy, comes in. 
In the case of a timed word search, the extra letters add density. The fact that there are many different types of letters that can make your words adds intricacy. And of course, the timed aspect adds time pressure. If there were too few letters in the search space, low density, the word search would be too easy to provide positive engagement, but too many would make it impossible. If the English language had too few rules for letter interaction, low intricacy, the word search would again become too easy, as words would be too easily recognized, but having hundreds of rules would become impossible to parse. As for time, too much of it could make the word search too easy, whereas too little, once again, makes it impossible. All of these can be altered with respect to each other to alter the approachability of the puzzle, thus finding a ratio that is appropriate to your target audience. Situational complexity is also affected by memory. As human beings, we can only remember so many things at a time, usually around three to five. Much of the processing for situational complexity is the effort of reducing the number of things to remember to something that is manageable, small enough to act upon. This is often done by grouping, which is the process of turning multiple objects into a single unit within our memories. This can take different forms, such as control groups in an RTS game to make multiple units act as one, or organizing things into groups to be processed, and then doing so in a deliberate, easy-to-remember order. This latter process can be observed when processing a word search. It's often best to work through a word search letter by letter and row by row. This allows you to ignore letters that aren't the current one you're focusing on, while remembering which letters you've already processed. These processed letters can then be ignored. These sorts of mental techniques are important for actually managing situational complexity. If it becomes hard to do, you easily end up in a situation where the player can become overwhelmed if too much is going on. Additionally, experience with the activity undertaken can have a massive impact on a player's ability to handle situational complexity, as the repertoire of techniques to handle it successfully increases. Because of its nature, it is hard to make situational complexity the focus of engagement. It can certainly be used as a side element to, for example, bring out emotions in the player, such as being overwhelmed in a battle. In such situations, you likely want to provide the player something they can mentally grab onto to prevent complete mental drowning in complexity. However, one common use of situational complexity is as a cost that is paid, buried to engagement, in order to gain strategic depth, as often strategic depth increases as the number of things to strategize with also increases. Speaking of strategic depth, the next type of complexity we're going to dig into here is strategic complexity. This is another more tricky form of complexity to nail down, as it often increases and decreases in tandem with comprehension and situation complexity. In essence, strategic complexity derives from what future situations the player can predict based on any given situation within the game, and how much effect said player can have on the outcome of said future situations, ideally in the service of a desired outcome. Because strategic complexity tends to be more ephemeral than other forms of complexity, it doesn't create obvious problems. You can't ever really have too much strategic complexity in your game, as it lives almost entirely in the realm of depth. As a result, it can easily seem like it is all upside. However, there is a very real danger here, the learning curve. Because there will always be a learning curve with strategic complexity, you have to be very careful to not require too much of your player too quickly. When that happens, it can make the game feel unfair, or like there's no way to win. What can be especially dangerous is when the learning curve is so steep that the player not only always loses, they also can't figure out why. Without a clear understanding of how to improve, a road to success, there is no hope, and the player will quit your game, feeling like it can't ever be for them, regardless of how much they wish it could be. There are a number of things that contribute to this learning curve. As Redcoat said, strategic complexity is often connected to comprehension and situational complexities. 
This means that, until players have learned those parts of your game, they aren't ready to tackle strategic complexity. Therefore, it is important that you don't ask a new player to be a master strategist while they're still just trying to learn the pieces to your game. But even if the game introduces you to all of the elements required to become a master strategist, if the strategy itself doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, the player will feel a little cheated, especially if they had to put in a great deal of time or effort to reach a point of competency when it comes to the game's strategy. Many things can contribute to this feeling. One factor is how much does the game play itself for the player. If the player isn't afforded enough meaningful choices throughout play, it will feel like the strategy that the player employs doesn't matter, as things will play out in the same manner regardless of if the player gives their own specific brand of planning and choice. Yeah, if the options a player has feel irrelevant for some reason, either because they all feel the same or because there's only a small handful of choices that actually feel viable, then players will also feel cheated. It feels like a broken promise. Here are all of these things you could do, but either they don't feel like they matter or most of them feel objectively bad. When this happens, players will complain about sameness or balance. With this said, positive strategic complexity can be recognized through the player feeling like their choices matter and, in the best scenarios, they can play with the parts of the game that they enjoy and still find success. Positive strategic engagement often results in players being able to express themselves through their particular strategic decisions in any given scenario, and allows for these particular decisions to be successful when employed in the right situations. Additionally, the choices presented to the player in a positive strategic engagement scenario are nuanced enough for the player to non-trivially engage them. This engagement can produce varying outcomes, many of which are desirable for the player. That said, the proper strategies that the player can execute on in a given situation also need to be readable when they look at the current game state. This has a great deal to do with the learning curve of the game, producing positive engagement when the player feels that they can expect to understand what the game asks them to understand at any given point in time. This discernibility is really important for esports in particular. For the audience to be engaged with the game, they need to know what is going on and how to determine if someone is playing well or not. This is where skilled commentators are invaluable, as they help with making both situational and strategic complexity more understandable for the audience. When done well, a good commentary team can make the complicated strategic play of the pros followable by novices. In this way, they expand the game's audience, both as a game and as an esport. Once a player has enough of an understanding of the strategy of a game, the final component comes into play, executing on that strategy. Ergo, executional complexity. Executional complexity can be described as how hard it is to physically do a thing in a game. This brings to mind the concept of doing quarter rolls and dragon motions in fighting games, or timing your inputs correctly in a rhythm game, but can also be applied to more mundane items such as in-game menus and screen transitions. As a rule, every object added to a game has an executional complexity attached to it, even if that complexity is nearly zero. From this standpoint, the concept of negative execution complexity can be described as a game object having too much physical difficulty associated with its use when considered against its place and importance to the overall gameplay experience. Much like strategic complexity, the learning curve is extremely important to whether the player has a positive or negative experience with the execution of actions in the game. If the player is expected to perform at too high a level too early in the game, a negative experience will be produced. However, if the player is given time to develop their muscle memory and overall physical ability to do the actions required of them by the game over the course of play, 
They will feel more at home with how things are done in the game, and derive positive engagement from successfully executing the actions asked of them. Executional complexity can also run into a problem similar to strategic complexity in terms of making a player feel like they just can't play the game. While with strategic complexity, the player feels like they can't figure out what to do, with executional complexity, the player often knows what to do, but can't ever seem to do it. This can be extremely frustrating. I myself have quit playing multiple games because of this, and not only fighting games. I stopped playing Batman Arkham Knight because of a boss battle that required me to execute specific driving sequences with the Batmobile. I just didn't feel like I could do that fight correctly from an execution standpoint, and as a result, I've never finished that game. It should be noted that conventional sports games, such as football and basketball, rely heavily on executional complexity to produce their positive engagement, and, as such, tend to have a coach or other mentor-type individual to help train players up to a level of competency that allows them to enjoy the game. It should also be noted that, in this scenario, the training itself is a part of the positive engagement, as the player can derive a sense of accomplishment from the steady accrual of physical skill. This aspect of training as a part of the positive engagement can often be missed when it comes to video games, as learning the physical ability to do actions is often either only brusquely approached or sometimes not approached at all. Granting the player a means to build up the physical skills, dexterity, and timing to play the game effectively through various training regimens that are in and of themselves rewarding can greatly help with this aspect of complexity. There are two big ways that executional complexity can lead to a satisfying gameplay experience. The first is when the controls become invisible, when the player's avatar becomes a digital extension of themselves, a pure agent of their will. The other is consistency. When a player is able to consistently execute on a difficult or a dangerous action, that can lead to satisfaction with one's own skill. Take parrying in Dark Souls as an example. Parrying is a risky action, as flubbing it can result in a great deal of damage to the player, and one must effectively put oneself in harm's way in order to attempt one. But when done consistently, the player feels powerful and untouchable. However, because the awareness of the consequences of failure are always lurking at the edges, it makes the feeling legitimately theirs. It isn't the game handing this feeling of power to them, but rather something the player has obtained for themselves. It isn't their avatar that feels powerful, it is the player themselves that feels powerful. This level of consistency and mastery is extremely satisfying in a way nothing else can be. So now that we've talked about all of the different forms of complexity in detail, how do we apply this to our own development and analysis techniques? What use does all of this academic analysis have in the real world of game development? Going back to our very first point, understanding all of these complexities and how they can contribute to the player's engagement with your game can greatly inform your team when deciding what to go for when building your game. For instance, if your team is looking to make a game that gives the player a feeling of cerebral superiority, aka a game that makes them feel smart, focusing on aspects of comprehension complexity as your means of deriving positive engagement and letting the other aspects of complexity be featured in less prominent roles can keep the comprehension complexity as the center of the player's attention. This idea can be applied to the other complexities as well, focusing in on one form of complexity while letting the others play more supporting roles to said focus, allowing the overall feel of the experience to be more easily parsed and enjoyed by the player. An example of this can be found in the game Ghost Trick. In brief, the game is about being a ghost that can possess items and influence them in very basic ways to affect the real world. The game focuses primarily on aspects of comprehension, as each scene contains many objects within them that the player must locate and discern the usage of. Once the player understands what they can do in a given scene, they are usually more than halfway to success, 
as the understanding of the situation presented and the strategy the player must implement hinges on the player understanding the full implications of the tools allocated to them in that scene. Executional complexity supports the comprehension as well, as the strategy the player comes up with must be executed with patience, timing, and precision while under a great deal of time pressure. Even with all of the aspects of complexity being present and accounted for in the grand scheme of the game, most of the player's time is spent comprehending the scenes and the tools presented within them, as the other complexities grant the player many valid reasons to seek that full understanding. It should be noted, however, that dampening other complexities to focus on one isn't the only way to handle things. The complexity of your game can be very multifaceted and feature all of the aspects in equal or nearly equal measure. Due to the composite nature of video games, every form of complexity is manifested to some degree in any given game. One very important thing to keep in mind when trying to adjust complexities is that they are all interlinked. Manipulating complexity, then, is often a matter of working with this sort of sideways adjustment process of changing one thing to change another. As an example, you might decrease situational complexity to make executional complexity lower. Say you have a game with a counter system. If you make the counterable attack easier to see or take longer, then that allows the player to identify the situation more easily, which makes for an easier execution of the counter. Again, this is because all of these complexities exist in a complicated ecosystem of interdependence, where affecting one item affects others, sometimes in unpredictable ways. Thus, it is very useful to figure out where complexity in various game systems actually comes from. So, as a practical example of figuring out sources of complexity, let's examine a forced stealth sequence to see how each type of complexity contributes. First, the player has to comprehend certain things. That this portion of gameplay is a forced stealth section, what they can do to hide, how they get caught, and where they are trying to go. Then they need to be able to be situationally aware. How close are they to getting caught? Where are the things that'll catch them? What paths of evasion do they have? Then comes the strategy. What path will they take to their goal? How will they evade that guy? How long do they wait in a hiding space? How will they go about gathering information to aid in their task? Finally, they have to execute that strategy. They have to follow the path they plan to take. They have to actually evade that guy. They have to wait in the hiding space for the period of time that they need to. They have to actually gather the information that's necessary for success. Some of this will require them to physically push buttons on their controller. Sometimes it will expressly require them not to. But once you have your strategy, your plan, it is all about executing on it and being situationally aware enough to react, to even change your strategy on the fly if you need to. In the end, when looking at the concept of complexity as a whole, which, as the length of this podcast probably denotes, is a complex subject in of itself, it all boils down to one big aspect of the player's interaction with your game, the aspect of learning. All of the complexities derive out of the fact that for the player to interact with your game in any meaningful manner, they must understand how to do that, i.e., they must learn how to play your game. It is very easy for that learning process to become tedious and boring, as the information and understanding that the player needs to know can be either very difficult to parse, difficult to understand, or in the worst case, not understandable at all. Producing a positive experience through your game's complexity is essentially working to make the learning process fun, intuitive, or at least approachable for the player involved. This concept goes beyond just making good, engaging tutorials for your game. This is about making the Narvazotl and mechanical identity of your game facilitate and encourage the player to learn about it. Be it through trial and error, intuitiveness of play, use of common play conventions, or even direct information bestowment. The learning process is an inalienable part of your player's experience with your game.
and therefore should be afforded the attention and diligence required to make that learning experience fun to go through. In other words, dealing with complexity's downsides isn't just about tutorials, it is about putting in the effort to make your game learnable and making your learning curves approachable. And with that, we finally come to a close on our talk about complexity. Join us next time for another podcast in our interview series. This time, Redcoat will be interviewing me about Guild Wars 1 and 2. I have a ton to say about these games, so we're going to try to focus it a little bit on a more of a direct comparison between the two games, particularly from a development standpoint. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I always find it fascinating how much you have to say about those games. Given how much I have to say about them, that's a good thing. And with that, CNTR, signing off. And this is Redco, signing off. Play the games you want to play, boyos.